0: where Jesus says, you know, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. So we're thinking together, uh, uh, Lord willing, over the summer about what this abundant life is and asking ourselves, am I living, you know, the abundant life? And we saw that um, uh, two things about the word abundance, that it means, first of all, that this is the kind of life that never ends, that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that life is waiting for me on the other side of this life. It's a life that rises up like the waves of the ocean. And then second, we saw that this life, this abundant life that God wants for us, is a life uh, that overflows abundance. It, It satisfies us. It causes us to find contentment in Christ but then it fills us to the point of overflowing to influence uh, the people around us, the world around us, and so forth. There's enough abundance in God for every last person on the planet. There's enough love in God. There's enough grace. There's enough forgiveness. There's enough wisdom to satisfy every last person on the planet. I always think uh, in this regard of First uh, John, uh, we talked about, Maybe reading through 1 John and seeing all these, you know, uh, uh, tests that John gives us to determine whether or not we're actually living this abundant life. But in John 2, 2, he says this, that Jesus is the propitiation, right, for our sins, but not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. When Jesus died on the cross... His sacrifice was sufficient to cover the sins, not just of us, but of the whole world. And I always think, you know, there's an awful lot of people walking around who have no idea what God has actually done for them. And so when this abundant life fills us and satisfies us and brings contentment into our life and then spills over, it goes beyond that, um, we have the opportunity to influence our generation uh, our uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, and so on. Now, today's Father's Day, so uh, ladies, you know, please forgive me, uh, but I'm going to talk about a car for a couple of minutes. <laughs> when our uh, son, Brett, was growing up, he hit a growth spurt um, that caused his spine, he grew so fast that his spine couldn't keep up with his growth. And uh, as a result of that, it was a condition called shormans and um, as a result of that, he had to give up all sports. Now, he played basketball, but he was not allowed to jump, right, because his spine could break. He played football. He was the captain of his football team, but he had to give it up because he couldn't tackle, and he couldn't be tackled. Now, I don't know if sports is a big deal here in Ridgefield, in school system, but when you're in school, and sports, and all of a sudden you're told you cannot participate in uh, the sports, any any sports, really, and so um, you can just imagine uh, what that was like, and um, when he was forced to give up all sports, and so Uh, After some uh, kind of attitude adjustments, I'd say, uh, we got uh, together in the car, and we drove to Arizona, and we bought a car in Arizona. We bought a 1926 Ford. Now, 1926, in three years, that car's going to be 100 years old, okay, so older than most of us here, okay? Old car, 1926 Uh, Ford, uh, it's a Model T, and uh, it was called in its day a doctor's coupe because it only seats two people, and um, the doctor actually used to come to your house when you got sick, and he would drive that kind of a car, a little run around kind of thing, and he would come to your house, but we've gotten so much advanced now that we all, all the sick people go to the same room and wait for the doctor, you know, it's... We don't share germs or anything like that and that kind of deal. However, when we bought this car, it did not have an engine. It did not have a transmission. uh, The brakes didn't work. The car was pretty broken down. You might say it was dead, you know, in rust and no power. And that's how it came into our lives. Um, But we loved the car. We thought it was cool looking, and we had big plans for the car. We were going to put new life into this old car, and we're going to make it better than it ever was. We were going to give it abundance. We were going to put more than originally was there into this car. And uh, so uh, we brought it home. Uh, we rented a U-Haul trailer, brought it home. We loved the car. And uh, we got a, a whole new frame to build everything on. We put a new engine in it, right? Um, a new engine. The old original engine was four cylinders, 177 cubic inches, and it produced 20 horsepower in its day, 20 horsepower. Now, that was on level ground. If you were going downhill, you did a little better. If you were going uphill, you did a little worse, okay? And uh, so now we put this uh, new engine in it to give it some new life, It has uh, eight cylinders, twice as many cylinders, and it has 383 cubic inches, and it produces about 350 horsepower. So it's way different than its original uh, status, okay? Uh, We put the new engine in it, and we put a new transmission in it, you know? Um, The best engine in the world, without being connected to where the rubber meets the road through the transmission, Uh, is useless, right? You're not going anyplace if if you're not connected. So we got this transmission out of a truck. Uh, It's a fast shifting. It's uh, heavy duty. And uh, uh, we put this new transmission in there. And uh, we had to put new brakes. And so, uh, you know, we put juice brakes, not mechanical brakes. And uh, we put disc brakes on the front so that we could stop. We put a new exhaust system. We put new wheels and tires for where the rubber actually meets the roads. We put new gauges so we could tell what was going on inside uh, the engine, what was going on under the hood. Now, the Bible tells us that when we came into the world, God tells us, right, that we too were pretty broken down. We come into the world in a similar state. We're dead, in fact, the Bible says, in trespasses and sins. We were designed to live connected to God, to draw our life from God. God first breathed into us to give us physical life, and he had a relationship with us. Uh, Adam and Eve walked with God. There was a relationship there, and uh, he was the source of our life. But we got disconnected from God. And so when we come into the world... We're pretty well broken down. You know, uh, when our original father, Adam, from Adam and Eve, our original father ignored our heavenly father, right? Everything went south. You might remember that um, God said, Look, there's one tree in the middle of the garden, it's the tree of the knowledge of right and wrong or good and evil. And uh, you can have, uh, you know, have at it with everything uh, except for that tree, Because in the day you eat from that, that, right and wrong, good and bad, that's my business, God said, you know. And uh, the day you eat from that, you'll die. And I've often asked myself, well, what happened to Adam the day he ate from that? His body didn't die. His soul didn't die. What died? His spirit died. His connection to God died. Uh, The Bible says in Thessalonians that we all have a body, a soul, and a spirit, right? Be sanctified, Paul writes to the Thessalonian church, in your body, your soul, and your spirit. Our spirit died. And so when we come into the world, in spite of the fact that, you know, we look at this baby and it looks so innocent, and we were all that at one time, you know, the truth is that child is separated from God. But God, like we had a plan for the car, God has a plan for the people that he loves, the people that he created. And uh, he has a plan for us. The the problem, you know, that happened is that Adam, our first father, was created in the likeness and the image of God. But everybody since then is created in the likeness of Adam, the Bible teaches, Genesis chapter 5. Adam created in the likeness of God, all of us created in the likeness of Adam with a broken down spirit, with no engine, no transmission, no way to connect to our source of life, uh, who is God himself. And so as a result, uh, it seems to me that when people today think about God, they often embrace wrong attitudes. Wrong beliefs lead to wrong attitudes about God simply because they don't know uh, the truth about what God is. For example, I think a lot of people, uh, when God comes up in their thoughts or in a conversation or so forth, a lot of people think that if I get too close to God, it's all about what God wants from me. And they have this attitude. That, you know, if I get serious with God, if I stop ignoring him and I allow him to speak into my life and I allow him to get close to me, which he wants to do, if I allow him to mess with me like he wants to, it's not about what he wants from me. He's God. He doesn't need anything from us. It's about what he wants for us, not from us. What he wants for us is the theme of our summer messages. He wants to give us an abundant life. He wants to bless us, right? He wants to give us. Uh, uh, he wants not to take from us but to give to us. And uh, I think that requires a huge attitude adjustment. I have to stop and think, do I really believe that? You know, in Genesis 12, when God first laid it out, remember? Remember? God said, hey, here's my plan. I'm going to bless all the families of the earth. That's what I want to do. In the future, the history of mankind, this is what I want to do. I want to bless all the ethne, all the different families of the earth. That's what I want to do. Now, we have to stop and ask ourselves, do we believe that? Do I believe that if I give God permission to kind of get involved in my life, that really he's totally for me, he's not looking for something from me? And that everything that, you know, he wants for me is uh, abundance. Um, My son, Brett, and I, we took that old car and ripped it apart. I mean, we took every nut and bolt and every piece that we could and totally took it apart. We welded on it. We drilled on it. We grinded it. We sanded it. We even shot peanut shells at the paint to get down to the bare metal. Uh, to put a smile on the car so that its face would, you know, show that it has new life. Uh, When Henry Ford first made the Model T, uh, you could pick any color you want as long as it was black. And then you could, you know, that's how it came. And so God, uh, you know, loves broken down people. God loves people who are spiritless because they lost it. Uh, We were all in Adam and we fell with them, and so on. And so God launches this plan to redeem, to buy back broken people. And I would suggest to you three things. Number one, um, it takes time. It takes time to take a broken down person who's dead in trespasses and sins, can't help themselves, has to come from the outside. Dead can't help itself, right? And so God comes and takes time uh, and started way back in Genesis chapter 12, and uh, when we get to the other side of Jesus' life, Paul writes to the Galatian church in Galatians chapter 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Who's born under the law? The Jewish people, right? To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, enabling us to talk to God as Abba, Father, Father's Day. God has brought us back. He's the ultimate father, as Mike mentioned, the ultimate example of a father and what a father does and how a father loves and and in the fullness of time. And it takes time. It has taken, you know, thousands of years to get to where we are today in God's plan. It takes time. Number two, it's expensive. You ever take a car and try to restore it and make it better than it was originally and so forth? It's expensive. Our poor son, uh, on his birthday, he would get a tire. <laughs> the next birthday, he'd get another tire. Christmas time, he'd get some wheels. Next Christmas, some gauges. It took years to do this car. It took us years uh, to be able to work on this car and put it together and so on. And... Um, Peter, when Peter writes, here is what he says in uh, one Peter chapter one and verse eighteen: Knowing that you, you, us were ransomed or bought back from your feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, Adam and company, uh, not with perishable things. You weren't purchased with perishable things. He says, like gold and silver, but with the precious blood. Of Jesus huge huge price to pay in order that you and I might walk around now and for eternity guilt-free shameless as Alta mentioned through the precious blood of Jesus it's expensive what God did in order to buy us back and to remake us and to give us this abundant life third thing I'd say is you have to be creative When you're trying to put new life into an old car or to an old broken down person, you know, who inherited their nature from old Adam, when you're trying to do that, you run into problems. How do I put this new life into this old broken down car or this old broken down person? You run into problems. There's roadblocks all along the way and you have to be creative And I would tell you that there is no other religion other than Christianity where the God of that religion actually absorbs the bad that's in all of us and the evil that we inherited from Adam and takes it on himself and pays the price in his blood. There simply is no other religion. There is no other creative way other than God to absorb and to extend to us Uh, the grace and the mercy that comes to us through the gospel. The message from God is really, really good news. It's the gospel. But in order for us to receive it, in order for us to experience that abundant life, I suggest to you that we are going to have to adjust some attitudes. Uh, And so I kind of wanted to ask the question this morning, if you were to just kind of think about yourself, what's your attitude toward God? What's your attitude toward God? Um, Because God, you know, wants us to, number one, trust Him. Is, Is my attitude an attitude? Do I trust God? You know, probably we learned as kids Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. So you get to a decision in your life. You're at work or whatever, and you have to make a decision between, I know God said I should do this, but I think I should do that. What's your attitude toward God? Do we have this respect? Do we recognize him for who he is? Do we submit ourselves to him? Do we not lean on our own understanding? And we want to know, hey, what does God say about this? Because we have an attitude that says, you know what? The life that I'm living now actually comes from God. And he's living in me through his spirit and he's putting his truth and his will into my life. Do we believe that God is actually out to bless me? Do you really believe that if God asks you to do something, it's for your good? When we're drilling on this old car and putting holes in it to put new stuff on it or whatever... Is that old car thinking, oh, wow, this feels great. I know you're for me. I know you're, you know, doing really, you know, so God comes to you and he says, listen, I want you to tithe. And I just use tithing because it's easy. It's it's give the first 10% of your income to God. And we say, well, now, wait a minute. Do I really believe that God wants me to tithe because he has something in mind for me that comes through tithing? Or God leads me to, you know, uh, Carrie's got some ideas for youth that are new and fresh, and and maybe somebody's sitting here saying, you know, I think God wants me to volunteer with the kids. Do I really think that God needs me? Or do I think, you know what, God's prompting me to get involved because somehow or another he's going to bless me through serving him. I mean, I think it's great that Alta's serving in the Hope Line. But I'll bet if she had more time to talk, she'd talk about how blessed she is for having the privilege of serving God through this particular ministry. Yeah, the girls are blessed. Yes, God is glorified. But what happens to me personally? I start to experience the abundant life. I start to experience the reason that God had me born and the reason that God gave me these experiences and the reason that God uh, allowed these different events to come in and out of my life, and so on? Do we believe it? What's our attitude toward God? Uh, the word blessed, you know, uh, I think it's another word for abundance, is God wants to bless. And uh, in the Greek, it, 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 it means blessed, but in the English, we don't really have an equivalent for the word blessed. The closest we can come is uh, it, it has uh, a lot of uh, similarity to our word Joy. And it's related to contentment and to inner satisfaction and to peace in inside of us and so on. It's an inner satisfaction that's associated, uh, I think, with the approval of, of God. In uh, John's gospel, uh, in John chapter 15, now we're in John's gospel. And remember, I mentioned that there are seven I am statements that... Jesus attaches metaphors to to help us understand his relationship with us along well, John chapter 15, Jesus says, "I'm the vine and you're the branches." right? It's a really famous passage. it's a great message. But in verse 11, here's what Jesus says, kind of towards the end of this. He says, "These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, that my abundance may be in you. Why am I telling you these things?" Jesus says. Why am I telling you that I'm the vine and you're the branches and that if you abide, you will be fruitful and so forth and you will, why am I telling you? I'm telling you this, Jesus says, so that you can have joy because I want to give. I want to give, I'm here for you. I don't need from you. And my attitude has to shift to understand that, you know, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to believe that everything God tells me is for my good. Now, you know, when it comes to joy, I think oftentimes we confuse joy and happiness, right? Happiness depends on circumstances. Happiness is great. I love being happy, right? Circumstances. Oh, we get to go to Ferris Acres tonight. I'm happy. Joy depends on God. Joy depends on God implanting his life into us, satisfying us, and then overflowing out of us in ministry and opportunities Uh, to influence the people around us. Uh, There's a big difference between joy and happiness. And uh, I think it comes from experiencing the love of God. Max Lucado calls it the applause of heaven. And it changes our attitudes. Um, You know, attitudes are our choice. We choose what attitude... You can change your attitude. You choose what attitude you have. And it's influenced a lot by what we believe. And if we believe God... Uh, certain attitudes begin to show up in our life. In Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, he talked about how his followers live. Right, you you all know the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, Jesus starts that sermon in Matthew chapter five. If you're following along, uh, with the Beatitudes, it's all about attitudes. He says, you know, the Christian life starts when our attitudes are adjusted by the truth of the gospel. And so he starts by describing some of these attitudes. And uh, I would suggest that these attitudes are kind of like the frame of the car, right? We build on these attitudes. If you have a certain attitude, there's gonna be certain actions and certain thoughts that will come from uh, those attitudes that we've chosen. So Jesus starts by describing some attitudes and uh, they're called attitudes because Christianity is way more... Okay, than just affirming some truths and some facts. Christianity is about becoming. You know, the word Christian actually means little Christ. If I call myself a Christian, what I'm really calling myself is I'm a a little Christ. Christ is perfect. I'm in process. I'm a little Christ. I'm following him. He's the source of my life. God put his spirit inside of my spirit, and that's what gave me life. It's like being born all over again. It's his life in us, living through us, right? And so Jesus starts with these be attitudes because it's not just mental assent uh, to truth. It's we get to be uh, more like Jesus. So there's eight of these attitudes, okay? The first four are about our attitudes toward God. The last four are about our attitudes toward people. Now, don't get nervous. I'm not going to talk about all eight of them, um, <laughs> but the question is do the facts that we believe the gospel the truth that we believe does it connect with us enough at a deep enough level to influence our attitudes and uh, again you could take the best engine in the world and we have the best spirit in the world when god puts his spirit in our spirit and brings us alive uh, we have the best spirit but if you have the best engine and it doesn't you don't have a transmission So that this great power of God, his spirit, doesn't connect to where the rubber meets the road and doesn't connect to how we're living and change our attitudes and uh, therefore our behaviors and so on and so forth. Uh, That abundant life that's given to us has to run through uh, a a transmission, a connection. Um, And so I want to suggest that the attitudes that we embrace are something like a transmission. And some of the things Jesus says here, um, they're counterintuitive. These are real challenges to some of the attitudes that we have. Some of the attitudes that we brought into life or that we uh, chose as we were growing up and so forth. So what I thought I'd do is just make a a comment or two on the first attitude toward God and the first attitude that Jesus reveals about uh, towards people. And so in uh, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3, Here's the first thing Jesus says, blessed, abundant, joyful, you know, are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit. Now, you know, you're thinking, poor in spirit, what does that mean? It means to be bankrupt spiritually. To be poor actually means to cringe or to cower before God. And it's to recognize simply, we bring nothing to the table. When we come together with God, we bring nothing to the table. The Bible says our righteousness, all the stuff that we think we do right and good and so forth, it's like filthy rags compared to the glory of God and the purity of God and the righteousness of God. And, and so we bring nothing to the table. We are dead in our trespasses and sins until uh, the Lord gets into our life. We are like a lump of clay and God's the potter. Remember, the Bible says, I'm the potter, you're the clay. You ever think about yourself as a lump of clay <laughs> spinning around on one of those wheels? Don't know what you're doing until God starts to poke you and shape you into something and squeeze you and you know, and start making you into something. I'm the, I'm the potter, you're the clay, uh, the scriptures say. Um, the poor in spirit is to be totally dependent upon God. The life that I'm living is totally dependent God upon him I'm poor in spirit I don't bring anything to the table to be poor in spirit is to wish that we were better than we are and to discover that God is all that we need blessed are the poor in spirit in our relationship to God my attitude is I bring nothing to the table and each one of these attitudes by the way has a promise connected to it blessed happy abundant are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God you know, if, if you have an attitude um, where you think, well, you know, God, you're really lucky to have me because, you know, I'm a very spiritual person. And, you know, I'm a really good person. When you compare me to, like, Charles Manson or something, I'm really a good person, you know? If your attitude is like that, uh, you'll never experience the abundant life. Blessed, abundant, joyful are those who come to God recognizing I'm broken down. I got nothing to offer. I can't even run on my own. I don't even have the life that you originally created me to have. And so, uh, theirs is the Here's the promise: you will discover the kingdom of God when you come to God with the right attitude. And then, uh, what's the uh, uh, what's our attitude toward people? In verse seven, uh, here's the first one about people: blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful, uh, for they shall receive mercy. You know, mercy is not natural. It's supernatural. Mercy is the opposite of anger and the opposite of bitterness. If grace is God's undeserved favor that he gives to us, mercy is God holding back on what we do deserve, right? God's grace and God's mercy. Um, When somebody does you wrong, somebody hurts you, offends you, uh, says things about you or whatever, uh, what's our attitude toward that person? What's our attitude toward people? And uh, Jesus says, if you want to experience abundant life, uh, you ought to choose to have the attitude of mercy. Boy, that poor guy. You know, he deserves a tongue lashing from me. He deserves a punch back from me. He deserves this. But I'm not going to do it. I'm going to show him mercy instead. You might remember back in Genesis, the story of Joseph. Remember Joseph? He got sold by his brothers into slavery. And a uh, bad thing to do, evil thing to do. And uh, by the end of the story, if you want to read it uh, at the end of Genesis, by the end of the story, uh, all those brothers are there, and Joseph's in charge of uh, the food, and there's a famine, and uh, they're all dependent on him, and they have this kind of meeting. And uh, Joseph says to them, "They're all scared when they find out that their brother is the guy in charge. To think he's going to uh, kill them because of the evil they did to them." And Joseph says this in verse nineteen. He, he says, uh, D- "Don't fear. I'm not God. It's not my place to judge." Don't fear, I'm not God. And then he says this. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Wow. You meant evil. People mean evil to us, right? But God means it for good. Why? Because God is looking to give to us, not to take from us. And he turns those things into good. So evil says, you know, get even, mercy says forgive. Abundant living is overflowing with mercy and forgiveness for other people. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Don't you want mercy from God? Would you ever want God to give you what you deserve? You wouldn't want judgment, right? You would want mercy. We don't want judgment. We want mercy. We want God's forgiveness, God's grace. Abundant living is overflowing with mercy Uh, and forgiveness for others and it also uh, mercy has to do with giving to those in need and uh, we don't have time but uh, you all know the story of the good Samaritan you remember there was a lawyer who asked Jesus what do I have to do to get eternal life and so Jesus tells the story of the good Samaritan remember the priest and the Levite right they walk by on the other side to the guy who's been beaten up on the road to uh between Jerusalem and Jericho do you remember that and uh jesus tells the story of the good samaritan the priest the levite they know the bible they got the degrees they walk on the other side the samaritan comes along it's a jewish guy that's down and out the samaritan comes along meets his needs you remember and uh because he has compassion he has mercy and uh at the very end the lawyer says well who's my neighbor you know trying to get out from underneath the thing and jesus said you know, pretty much anybody who has a need is your neighbor. And then go and show mercy, Jesus says, to this lawyer. Who's my neighbor? Well, uh, the abundant life is the life that God wants to give us. Are we living the abundant life? Have we allowed God to put a new engine and a new transmission and new tires and new a whole new perspective on life? Has our attitude toward God and toward people evolved so that it matches the attitude that Jesus as his people eventually embrace? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pause again to just say thank you to you. You're the source of our life. Uh, You're our hope. You're uh, our forgiveness. You're our grace. You're our wisdom. Uh, You're the one who, if we allow you, will navigate us through this life in a way that you can use us and in a way that we can bring glory to you. I pray, Heavenly Father, that we would live a life that overflows to influence the folks around us in order that they might understand what a great God, what a great Father, our Father which art in heaven really is. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.